all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 252 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Connect Four episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that there are a certain number, a specific number of ways of placing four pieces on a Connect Four board. And that way, that specific number of ways, two. 152. Yes, and with that wonderful little bit of Connect Four knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our convalescing Sony employee, Gimpy Tim. Gimpy Tim. Yes, not not like Gimp Tim, but Gimpy Tim. G-I-M-P-Y, because isn't the other Gimp like, Matt, tonight you're the Gimp. Isn't there like an H? At the end of that gimp? What? No? What? No? So if you're a gimp, <laughs> it's it's. Are, you spelled... ta- are, we, are we talking? Are we talking like, uh, like some form or fashion of a leather bound air quotes here? Cripple? Oh, the sex? No, that's G I M P. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's unfortunate, right? I mean, it could be offensive for those that are gimp. You know, I mean, it could go either Maybe. way. Like, hey, I, I like it in the butt, but I don't want to be associated with somebody with a hurt leg. I guess. I'm not sure that that scenario gimping plays has anything to do with liking it in the butt or not. But I mean, I guess we could make we, we could we could ask the makers of the Aneros Helix <laughs> or not. Why, do, why, do, why, Matthew, why do you think the makers of the Aneros Helix would? Because the Aneros Helix sounds like an item you would find while playing some kind of online fantasy role-playing game. Well, fantasy is definitely right. Yeah, Tim surprised me with a Google link that was to an article about 18 different sex toys for dudes. And... <laughs> and the names just keep getting better as you as you run down and the list and one of them was literally called the Aneros Helix. And uh yeah, it's basically a it's like a prostate stimulator, but it's basically just a butt plug for dudes. Um I I didn't realize that butt plugs were gender specific, but um good to know. Good to know. What's what's different? Like is there an added feature to either the male or the female? anal toy that well yeah because it's for prostate stimulation oh no oh no oh no don't get a boner don't get a boner no 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 i like this the number seven here the apollo hydro power stroker (laughs) i mean well clearly auto blow was already taken so (laughs) they needed they needed something you know, yes, Greek uh, god, and even the know. auto blow too. But there was actually a reason why I sent you this, Matthew, to avoid telling us how the fuck you hurt yourself. Because even at this point, I still don't know. Okay, well, we'll we'll get to we can we'll get to that in a little bit. But the reason why I sent you to this link because this is so much more exciting than me telling you about how I unexcitingly hurt my foot or my ankle. You know, I, I hurt my foot in Texas. I, I sprung the ankle found out uh, there's an old fracture that never healed. I am couch-ridden. Is that the same thing? When you're bed-ridden, you're stuck on the bed? It doesn't work with saying couch-ridden? Okay. So I'm couch-ridden. My significant other, who has been renamed to 
what, what do you call her now? What what is she? Oh yes, step and fetch it. A step and fetching, a step and fetching. No, 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 step and fetch it. That could also be a sex toy. I mean, we have to be careful that we're not <laughs> stepping over any copyrighted. And we'll we'll, we'll just say that ours is hyphenated, so we'll we'll, we'll you know clear trademark that way. Twenty seventeen, twenty seventeen, because certainly <laughs> that will separate it from the sex version of a step and fetch it. My lovely step and fetch it significant other tends to me i guess she, she she makes me this nice little setup on the couch where i have to prop up my leg and you know a lot of swelling a lot of bruising basically i i i'm immobile you know i could i cannot be sneaky that's the thing it's like if i wanted to be sneaky i couldn't be sneaky because i'm wearing a huge boot i'm in so much pain and i have crutches so um she's in the closet for whatever reason getting something down or i think she's putting oh it was a halloween mask i had in a big box so she was in there put in the closet putting the halloween mask up and then i all of a sudden hear her go what what is this and she starts busting out laughing I'm like, what? what? What is it? She goes, Tim, what? what is this? You're not going to believe what I found in here. What? What is this? As if I secretly hid something in the closet that at this point I thought maybe she thought I hid it there for her to find. I, I, I don't know. But she's like, I found something sitting on top of an old, uh, a pile of old clothes that I have in there. And it's like, well, wh- what is it? What is it? So she comes in and it's this very sexual looking velvety sack a little gift sack that you would get like if you would buy a crown royal drink you know it comes in that purple sack but oh, sure. this this one's sure. sexier you know you could you know i wouldn't want to smell it or anything that's how too sexy it is you know you never you don't want to put it anywhere near your face or your mouth you can't really see what i'm doing with my hand but she's like squeezing it and it's like bouncing back and she's like i'm afraid to look in here it's like well do it when you're when you're holding something risque looking already and there's kind of rubbery in there and it's kind of long and shaft like i don't think i would me personally i wouldn't just reach my hand in there and grab what's ever in there because i kind of have an idea of what's going to be in there you know but she did that and she pulled out what i just found out to be because before we started i wanted to figure out what this thing was called i believe it was one of these the Superhead Honcho. To paint this picture of the Superhead Honcho on this BuzzFeed article, this one is light, light purple, I guess, closer to a flesh color. Uh, the one that was in this bag was hot pink, and it. This is what it is. It's a uh, the, the Superhead Honcho. The thing in the 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 sexy velvet sack was voted by famed sex educator Sue Johnson's followers as, quote, toy of the year, end quote. The jelly mouth and suction combine to create pleasure, and it's stretch enough to accommodate any size member. Yes, the superhead honcho was in the sack. And not only was that funny, but I didn't even put it in there. Neither of us could not figure out how that got in the closet, let alone how it was nicely left on top of our clothes. While I, I mean, assume somebody could have come in while 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 we were out of town. Like, is there such a thing, Matthew? Um, you you are a seasoned lover. Is there anything like a sex fairy that magically appears? I was going to say it sounds like you. It sounds like the superhead honcho fairy came to visit. Um, somebody's been either a very good or very bad boy this year, and I can't tell which. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's not, it wasn't even like new or anything, really. There was like hair in it. Glad you were looking inside of it. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> in a word, ew. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I honestly am not sure exactly where, why, or how. I suppose it could have been in the closet on a higher up shelf and had fallen off in the intervening time that you've been there or been gone and landed on top of your clothing. That would be feasible. But here's the thing. The basket of clothing Uh was on the top shelf. Oh, dun, dun, dun. I don't know. Occam's razor here comes into play. Uh, One of y'all is lying. (laughs) One of y'all put it there. That's that's the only... uh, is, is simplest explanation, no matter how unlikely, is probably the one that makes the most sense. I feel pretty strong that neither of us put it in there. Well, I know I didn't. Are we talking about putting it in the sleeve itself or putting the sleeve in the, well, <laughs> in the closet? Both. I mean, either or. I mean, for one thing, I wouldn't buy a hot pink Superhead honcho. That just, uh, you know? I know, that really, I, I don't understand. I guess maybe because we're not trying to assume uh, assume sexuality or anything. But even then, why wouldn't you go with maybe a more neutral color? But hot pink? That just doesn't sound like something most guys are going to want to buy. In my significant um, fluffer or, or uh, other. ha, ha, ha. Uh, I see what I mean, you did she there. would never buy anything like that. No, she would not do that. Nothing makes sense. It's weird. It is indeed weird. What's a neutral superhead honcho color? Well, okay, so scroll down to number 13. Scroll down to number 13. The Lilo Tour 2, uh, which apparently is like the best cock ring in the whole wide world. And it better be for 119 fucking dollars. Jesus Christ. It looks like one of those things a realtor puts on your door. <laughs> except upside down. <laughs> yeah, except upside down. No, uh, honestly, there you go. That kind of hunter greenish, kind of tealish color there. That's kind of neutral. Because when I think of cock rings, I think of hunter green. Sure. Do you care to read the description? Oh, uh, yeah, well, we, I, I suppose we must at this point. <clears throat> The Lilo Tour 2 is one of the highest quality cock rings on the market. Don't be scared off by the high price, though. Its makers say that the device is for the, quote, connoisseurs of sex, end quote. It's intended to help your penis stay harder, longer, and helps to control your orgasm. The vibrating sensation helps to get your partner off, too, as you stroke. One reviewer of the Lilo Tour 2 said, quote, Once the Tour 2 was on my penis, I could feel it get straight to work, end quote. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't get a boner. Don't get a boner. No, 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 no. You see what they did there? Straight to work? <laughs> yes, but there, there are penises out there that maybe not, that might not be straight. So you have to wonder if they work like that. That's what Jim Carrey says, anyway. I learned that penises weren't always straight when I watched Liar Liar. (laughs) Because the guy says, how's it hanging? Short, shriveled, and always to the left. 
And that is our movie reference. We finally <laughs> got there. We finally did it. <laughs> thank you, Jim Carrey. And oh. thank you, Liar Liar. Ah, all right. So then I guess shall we go ahead and uh, disappoint ourselves once again and check the old email? Oh, might as well. Check that mail sack. Check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. Oh, no! We suck again! <laughs> yep that's right folks once again no email we're getting kind of sad we'd we'd really love an email anytime would be (laughs) good so if you would like to make our dreams come true don't don't let our don't let our dreams be dreams. Uh, send an email to the show at slscast.com. And as always, of course, we welcome followers and or comments on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. So are we gonna go ahead and do a little bit of news or do we just want to jump straight into the movies, sir? Why don't we just jump into the movies? Alright then, here we go, folks. It's the movies. <laughs> And this week's movies are Stronger, Thor, Ragnarok, and Blade Runner 2049. Um, Where do you want to start, sir? Why don't we do Thor, Ragnarok? Thor, Ragnarok. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery, where I met you. Where are we? You have no idea. Hello, the goddess of death has invaded Asgard. Oh, I've missed this. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? No, I won. Easily. Doesn't sound right. Well, it's true. Asgard is dead. And it'll be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me. I need to stop her here and now. To prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So I'm putting together a team. Like the old days. Surprise! This will be such fun. We're the same, you and I. Just a couple of hot-headed fools. Yeah, same. Hulk like fire, mm. Thor like water. Oh. Kind of both like fire. But Hulk like raging fire. So I like smoldering fire. <laughs> Alright, so yes, as you can tell, it's the latest Marvel movie, superhero film uh, in the Marvel Comics universe. This one is featuring Thor on his own. It's the trilogy ender, as it were, for Thor. And um, he's got to go and take out his, uh, turns out to be his sister, just in case you didn't gather all that knowledge yet, um, who seems to be infinitely more powerful than he was, or he is, and uh, wa- learns lots more about his dad than he ever wanted to know. Meanwhile, he also gets a little bit sidetracked, and who else does he come across but the Hulk? Um, and as always, I like to say shenanigans ensue. This one, of course, is directed by Taika Waititi. Um, and it stars Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Kate Blanchett, Idris Elba, Jeff Goldblum, Tessa Thompson, 
Carl Urban, Mark Ruffalo, and Anthony Hopkins. Um, all right, so basically, I I like this movie. It's it, it it's it, and I I more than like it. I I'm gonna land on a four for this one. I was kind of debating between four and four point two five, but um, I definitely think that uh four is where i should land on this and here's why they seem to have both learned from um guardians of the galaxy but also are all have taken that lesson too far and what i mean is is they they have really gotten to the point where they treated thor like the god that he is and what i mean by that is you are getting all of the beauty all of the splendor and all of the majesty that comes from mythology and a lot of the wide angle shots in this movie especially climax shots and uh and hard battle shots and things of that nature um done generally in slow motion really feel like classical paintings and it's designed to evoke that feeling of mythology to really kind of build the mythos and give you the idea of just exactly what it means to be a god and given the strength of movies like doctor strange and guardians of the galaxy and not to mention that we've had two other thor movies i think they were really able to kind of just unload uh and really give you that feel and so you get a lot of great cinematography out of that and uh, and you really kind of feel that another thing that was really cool is that they the score in this movie really gets the tone right i feel it really sends the message that this is a combination of fantasy and sci-fi and you get to see that a lot when you when thor is working his way back towards asgard to try and save it and yet, where they do really, really well on the score, they come back and kind of fall again because they actually use soundtrack music. And sometimes, sometimes they get it right, but more often than not, it just feels forced um, because like, oh, okay, cool, these like, first six words or the first four or five lines of this one classic rock song are kind of reminiscent of the action and the fighting that you see or it might kind of make you think of something fantastic but it still just kind of falls off and sounds like why did they shoehorn a, a classic rock song in this movie and that is where i feel like they stopped they, they they took the lesson of Guardians of the Galaxy, and now they're taking it too far. Another aspect is in the humor. They have finally learned how to get good dialogue that is funny, that has got great one-liners, that gives you good insight into the characters, but at the same time doesn't go overboard. But then it does. And so there is one... Uh, there's one character in here, and please help me if you can remember his name, because I can't think of his name off the top of my head, Tim. It's the, the dude that's made out of rock completely. He's, I think that's actually played by the director 
I can't even remember his friend's name when he's, he he references his friend. Yeah, uh, Watiti is the guy who did the motion capture. Korg. Yeah, so we have Watiti playing Korg, the guy who is basically this huge guy who's made out of rocks. And yet, it's just that he sounds... Okay, so what makes him so funny is that he's gentle. He he actually sounds a lot like Reese Darby, who is a comedian actor uh, from New Zealand, an actor and comedian from New Zealand. He was famous in Flight of the Concords um, as like the director of tourism or whatever for New Zealand. He also plays the leader of the werewolves uh, in What We Do in the Shadows. And so... Um, he he just kind of has this, you know, really simple, quiet voice. Oh, how you doing? Is everything okay? You know, oh, that's just... And, 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 of course, it's meant to be a juxtaposition against this big, huge gladiator that's made completely out of rock. Um, and it's done to humorous effect very, very well at first. And then you think they wisely drop it and then just kind of bring they come back to him later on in the film and you're like oh, okay haha that's funny we got we get the joke but instead of just leaving it at that they keep harping on him again and again throughout the remainder of the movie instead of using him in in a in sparingly as kind of a punchline here or there even though once they brought him back they could have just let that be the punchline on its own and they do things like this all the time um, we've also got, uh, Hulk has kind of evolved now. So he, he can talk, um, and he, and, and he's got his own kind of logic and everything. And again, something there that they kind of brought to the fore, a la Guardians of the Galaxy. And it works really well at first. And there are some pretty funny one-liners, the whole, you know, I'm a fire thing and, you know, you're like a puny flame thing. Those kinds of things are good, but at the same time, they also continue to take that too far. Um, instead of just letting, instead of just letting it be established that we've got a kind of a break where Banner is more Banner and Hulk is more Hulk. It's no longer a mesh of the two. They're starting to split. And, um, I don't know. Maybe they're setting up for Gray Hulk later on. Who knows? But at the same time, instead of just letting that dialogue for Hulk stand on its own and be funny where it needs to be funny, and then that's it, um, uh, and then just establish that basis for what's going on in the character, they just kind of keep it, just kind of keep it going for too long. And that's where I say that it's they've learned the lesson of Guardians of the Galaxy, but they're taking it too far. So aside from those things, though, it's still a heck of a lot of fun. It definitely makes uh, for a kind of a nice end to the Thor storyline, um, while still, of course, moving the Marvel Cinematic Universe forward. But I just, I don't know. I think there was still room for improvement. There are a lot of people who are saying this is the best Marvel movie yet. I would disagree with that. But it's still a great ride. Four out of five. Loki, I thought the world of you. I thought we were going to fight side by side forever. But at the end of the day, you're you and I'm me. I don't know, maybe they're still good in you. But let's be honest, that path diverged a long time ago. Probably for the best that we never see each other again. That's what you always wanted. 
Healers do get help. What? Get help? No. Come on, you love it. I hate it. It's great. It works every time. It's humiliating. Do you have a better plan? No. We're doing it. We are not doing get help. Get help! Please! My brother's dying! Get help! Help him! Oh, classic. Oh, still hate it. It's humiliating. No, not for me, it's not. What do you got there, Tim? I thought this was a pretty interesting movie. It's by no means a great movie, but it's pretty close. This is definitely one of my favorites. I'm a big fan of the first Iron Man. I like Guardians of the Galaxy. I enjoyed the second Guardians of the Galaxy. However, I think this movie as a whole, what this movie set out to be, which is more of a comedy and more of a more a little more gimmicky, I guess, like with its visuals and with its storytelling. Since they were kind of setting out to do that, I thought this movie worked and stuck pretty well. A couple of the main things that really attracted me to this movie was its score and its visual style. First off, the score is done by Mark Mothersbaugh, and of course, he is of Devo fame. He is one of the main guys of Devo. He's done a number of scores over the years. I think he did Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. He's He did the uh, the score for Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. He's done a number of movie scores, and he went into Thor Ragnarok knowing that most Marvel movies sound the same. They sound similar. They have the same hook to it. When you go and see a Marvel movie, if you just close your eyes and just listen to the soundtrack only you know that you're seeing a Marvel movie. Three Marvel movies come out every year, so you get bogged down with the same score. Other than, I would say, maybe Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange plays around with the harpsichord a little bit, so, you know, it distinguishes itself in that way. But this one is significantly throwbacky. It has more synthesizers to it. It's, it's fun, it's nostalgic, and it works for what this movie is trying to be. It's poppy, it's colorful, and it is pretty fun. And then the visuals, again, which are also fun... Unfortunately, it really only works for when Thor is on that junk planet where he fights the Hulk. What is that planet called? Sakaar, I think. Scar, Sakaar. I'll say Sakaar. Sakaar. Yeah. Sakaar. Uh, so, I mean, the, the visual pop and style works there. But then when you go to Asgard, Thor's hometown, you know, where Hela is, and I thought Kate Blanchett did a great job. I would have loved to have seen her do more with that character. I guess it's not up to her to do more with the character, but I would have liked to have seen more done with that character because, yeah, she was the first female villain, full-on female villain in a Marvel movie. It would have been great to have utilized her in such a different way. Other than the juxtaposition of the cinematography and the visual style of the film not really having a nice flow in between the two settings... I think what really holds this movie back is the story structure itself. I do praise the writers and the director for doing a something a little different. Whenever they have to reference the Avengers or reference things that happened in the past, they do it quickly. In fact, a lot of the lines are references, and either they're making fun of it in, in its own little way, they're like riffing on it. And so, you know, it adds to the fun of the movie. 
But the structure is what got me. When I first saw the trailer, I was really drawn to a couple things, such as the humor, the look, the visual flair, the visual style, and the use of the immigrant song, Led Zeppelin's immigrant song. It worked in the trailer, but it feels very shoehorned in and wasn't executed all too well in the film. It's used twice at the beginning and at the end. Yeah, it's a missed opportunity. Another visual flair could have done something with more, especially on Asgard during the big fight scene at the end, was that in the trailer you see this really cool slow motion, beautifully shot imagery of the Valkyries charging down from the skies, heading towards Hela, Kate Blanchett, about to do battle with her. And in the movie, that's like a quick flashback. You know, it's a few quick shots, and they're all slow motion shots. And it's like, damn, they could have done something really cool with that. They could have opened the movie with that. In fact, they took so long to set up freaking Kate Blanchett's Hela character that we really didn't get to see the Hulk until, what, maybe 45 minutes into the movie? Longer than that? So, of course, when you see the Hulk, you have to set up the whole relationship between Thor and the Hulk. So the movie starts dragging there, and then you move on to the next thing, and then it's like, oh, we have to stop Hela. Oh, we have to get a team together. Oh, let's introduce some more characters. Oh, we gotta do some more stuff with these characters and all that jazz. And then on top of that... There's Doctor Strange. Oh, and then we have to be reintroduced to Thor's dad. And also Loki. So everybody has to be brought up to speed on Loki and Anthony Hopkins. They execute all of that in a very entertaining way. I mean, the movie is not a horrible movie. In fact, it's a very good movie. It's just, I felt that it was a missed opportunity. I thought it was a lot of glitz and a lot of colorful fun that masked these story elements that we've seen before, not only in just other Marvel movies, but in other Thor movies, especially when it pertains to Loki. And it would have been nice if maybe there was that cool flashback with the Valkyrie at the beginning of the movie, and then right afterwards, Hela appears and she takes over the town, and then most of the movie, Thor and the Hulk are on the junk planet, and then the last 20 minutes of the movie... They're then on Asgard, where they have to defeat her. And maybe it's not particularly an end-of-the-world scenario, because when you think of Asgard, at least me, how it's shot and how the Asgardians are portrayed, it's like Earth, and it's like humans. And if any of you guys have listened to any of my other Marvel movie reviews, I'm sick and tired of the end-of-the-world scenarios. And this is the end of Asgard. So there, there are a lot of character and story elements that this movie goes through, and it handles most of them in a very entertaining, exciting way. But it's still another Marvel movie. But damn, is it good. I, too, give this one a 4 out of 5. I like a lot of the jokes in this film. In fact, I thought the jokes in this one are handled better and are executed better compared to Guardians of the Galaxy 2 because I thought Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is like drowning in quips and one-liners and reactions and jokes that, you know, just really bogs down the movie. So luckily, Thor Ragnarok isn't bogged down by all that stuff, at least in my opinion. So it's still worth checking out. Do it. I'm, I'm glad Chris Hemsworth has some character in this movie as well. So, four out of five for me. Right on, sir. Where would you like to turn? Let's do Blade Runner. Really? Stronger last, huh? Okay. Well, I mean... I'm just surprised. I 
would have thought that this one would have been the last one. Oh well, we can do that. Why? Why not? You know what? Let's. No, 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 oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. You, you have spoken, sir. Okay. You have spoken. I don't want to tax your brain anymore right now and get you thinking about one movie and not be the right movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might be able to help me with the case. Any idea where I could find him? Your police plan on taking me in. I would much prefer that to the alternative. Every leap of civilization was built off the back of slaves. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. I had the luck, and he has the key. I think I found him. That's not possible. If this gets out, we've bought ourselves a war. You're a cop. None of your job once. Things were simpler than what happened. I covered my tracks. Scramble the records. We were being hunted. By who? They know you're here. You do not know what pain is yet. You will learn. Bring it to me. This breaks the world. Where is he? The future of the species is finally unearthed. Let's see here. So, Blade Runner 2049. It is a American neo-noir science fiction film directed by Dennis Villanueva. And it is written by Hampton Fletcher and Michael Green. This, of course, is a sequel to 1982's Blade Runner. This one stars Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford is, uh, along with um, Anna de Armas, Sylvia uh, Hakes, Robin Wright, Mackenzie Davis, Carla Jury, Lenny James, Dave Bautista, and Jared Leto. All right, we are picking up uh, pr- basically 20 years after the first film. Or is it 30 years after the first film? Right? Because it was 2019, right? So yeah, I guess 30 years after the first film. Replicants were being hunted then. However, the Tyrell Corporation went out of business because of the laws that changed regarding the replicants. And a new guy comes along who whose name is Wallace, and so he has like Wallace Foundation or Corporation, now it's Wallace Corporation. And he produced a new series of replicant that is basically guaranteed not to rebel. Uh, enter K. This is Ryan Gosling. His full name is actually... Um, uh, it's, it's part of his... Um, Serial number, you know, so K seven eight four three five five or whatever, and uh, he just goes by K for short. And he, of course, is a Blade Runner um, who hunts down other replicants. He inadvertently stumbles across a I don't know what the word I want to use here because I definitely don't want to spoil it. At least not yet. If we get into spoiler territory, fine. Let's just say he stumbles across 
something miraculous in his travels as a Blade Runner that causes, uh, that could cause the entire world to fall into chaos. And so he is tasked with putting a stop to the result of this miraculous event that he's come across. And off he goes to figure out the perpetrators, the who's, the what's, the why's, and the hows, and then, of course, putting a stop to it himself. Shenanigans ensue. Movie goes on. Now, getting into the review proper, I gotta say that this movie, in and of itself, is a victim of its own success. And what I mean by that is, this movie was obviously picking up where Blade Runner had left off in terms of form, fashion, themes, um, score, cinematography, special effects, all of these things that Blade Runner has done for cinema over the last 35 years, we now get to push all of that forward and see things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to appreciate had it not been for Blade Runner. The problem is, is that I think that the, 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 the people behind Blade Runner thought that the world had caught up to the cult following that Blade Runner established, and it hadn't. People know about Blade Runner. They've heard of Blade Runner. But no one's really ever seen Blade Runner except for diehard sci-fi fans, diehard cinema fans, and diehard Ridley Scott fans. Uh, and falling slightly below that, diehard Harrison Ford fans. And there's, out, outside of the general movie going public, or outside, once you get outside of that into the general movie going public, you know, there's a reason why the movie didn't do so well in the theater. Um, studio tampering, any, you know, all that kind of stuff aside, the movie didn't really do that great in the theater uh, and developed a huge cult following, yet the movie was no doubt influential. And so when we come to today, everyone's expecting like, oh yeah, everybody's going to go see Blade Runner. Oh, a... But then it didn't do that great in the theater. Um, it's running currently at a worldwide box office of about 241 million against a budget of any, it, the range is 150 to 185 million. So let's just split the difference. We'll call it 160, you know, 167 million. We'll just split the difference on it. Um, and so, you know, it, it's basically losing money. But the movie really does build on a whole lot of amazing themes. And it's just such a shame that I don't know that anybody's ever really going to get to the point to see it so that, so that the world can benefit from it. Um, if you watch the first movie, for example, you'll know that there was the, you know, that Coke was one of the big, um, advertisers right there was the big coke sign and everything and that's a street level well if you'll if you pay attention in 2049 something that's happened is 
there's two tiers of life now. Like if, if it was hinted at in Blade Runner, in Blade Runner 2049, there's no doubt that there's like a two-tiered version of life where when you're on the ground level, you get one experience. But if you're in the flying cars and up above and high, you get another experience. One of them is the types of products that you'll see and that you'll use. Um, and Coke, Coca-Cola was down on the bottom in Blade Runner. But in Blade Runner 2049, it's up high. Uh, you, you know, they've got a bunch of junky cars and stuff and things that bung around and everything. But flying cars are better cars. And, of course, Puget is the flying car in this one. Hey, whatever, you know, advertising. Um, but so you can see how they've how they've contributed to that theme and that structure that goes into the way that life will be for the haves and the haves nots. Um, there's, you know, racism is always a thing. And it's, and it's funny because this movie also shows that no matter how many advances we make as a society, we always have to find some being to make ourselves better than. And this movie really builds on that. Uh, and in this particular case, it's the replicants, right? The, rep the replicants get shit on no matter how good or how useful or how amazing that they are. And this movie really goes into that as well. It also goes into um, themes of self-sacrifice and what it means to be human. Um, much, much more than Blade Runner did. And... And and there, again, it's just so much of this stuff that is really built upon. But unfortunately, when no one saw the first one, even in all these intervening years, granted, there are seven fucking cuts to this movie. Uh, so it makes it a little harder for a lot of diehard fans to figure out which version to see. Which Which one did you watch? I ended up watching the final cut. Okay, good, because that's the one that they based the sequel off of. True, and this was also the one that uh, Ridley Scott had uh, full control over. Um, and also, it's good. It's it's important to note that uh, canonically, and in terms of the actual shot selection per se, not really that much of a difference between the director's cut and the final cut. So if you've on, if you've only ever seen the director's cut. Um, and not the final cut for whatever reason, um, you, you would still have the correct storyline going into 2049. Um, but again, you, you, all of these things that contributed to the mythos of Blade Runner is built upon here, but there's just nothing that draws the average cinema goer in. And I think it's a shame. I really do. I think it's a shame. Um, but despite building on all of these amazing things, I felt that there are the two biggest critiques that I have are I, I believe that it was simply too long and I think that the sound choices, the sound design, well, I guess not so much the sound design as score, um, really contributed to 
making a sameness, not a growth, but a sameness that, that really feeds into, um, a feeling of things dragging out. And it adds to kind of the idea that the movie just is too long. Um, the, the movie has a runtime of 163 minutes. So if you went and saw this in the theater or if it's still playing close by, you know, factoring in your previews and stuff, be prepared for a full three hours of sitting there. Um, and I feel that despite its beauty, despite its artistry, and again, I, I was not a big fan of the arrival, you know that, but I think Dennis uh, Villanueva did a great job, all, all things considered. I just think this movie is just entirely too long, and I think that the score and portions of the sound design that, that stem from that don't give it enough of the growth that was there. Um, and, and a case in point in terms of the sameness and in terms of the length is um, uh, Jared Leto's performance, actually. And I, I get what he actually represents, and I actually like that uh, as he plays Neander Wallace. And I actually like that as he is blind, um, he also kind of represents a duality of replicants themselves, which is really fascinating. Again, themes are really good. Themes are so good, but but the execution on that, just the things that he does and the scenes that he have just really tends to take up more time than it needs to. And I just feel like at this point, I'm really kind of going in circles. So the length, some of the score decisions, a little bit of sound design uh, hurt the movie a little bit, but not a whole lot. I still give this one a four out of five and I would really recommend going and just just diving in. Go grab the final cut of Blade Runner, give it a go, turn around and watch 2049, and I don't think you'll be sorry. So are you Blade telling people to watch them back-to-back? Back? <laughs> Maybe not back-to-back, no, back, but if you wanted to throw a day at it, then sure. Yeah. You know. What was your score again? Uh, the score, four out of five. Four out of five. All right, so this is a 3.5 out of five movie for me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not a great movie, and I have some reservations in saying that because I was hoping to have watched this movie a second time, but given my foot issue, I wasn't able to go back and check it out at the theater, at least at a proper, at, a, at another proper theater with great sound and whatnot. Um, luckily, the first showing of it, I watched, I saw it opening night, and the sound was phenomenal. So I had a great theater experience. But a three and a half out of five for me, it's a beautiful film. I mean, excellent visuals. And I thought Mark Mangini, who is the supervising editor on the film, did a great job. A lot of people are criticizing the sound design on it for being too loud. But I liked how they kind of molded the score and the sound effects together. So you really aren't quite sure if you're if you're listening to the synthesized score or if you're listening to the sound effects. I think that in itself creates this very interesting atmosphere. It creates its own world. And that's what draws me to watch the original Blade Runner, you know, at least once or twice a year. Well, I maybe not twice a year, but about once or a year because I like that feeling and I like that world. It's not like dingy feeling, you know, it's not uncomfortable. It's just, 
you know, it's like if you've ever been on a really good trip, you know, like a drug trip, it's kind of like that. Feels like a good drug trip. But I did find this movie having heavy Arrival vibes, because like with Arrival, which Matt and I did not like at all, he here, or this movie did feel like it was being more cerebral than how the movie actually plays out. Like it was trying to be more than it needed to be. And I think when it comes down to it, I think it was reaching for too many things so that it would brush upon one theme or one very fascinating element, but then it would go to the next thing. And oftentimes it would focus on something that I really didn't care too much about. And I, I mean, I'm hoping once I finish here in, a, here in a second, we can talk about some spoilers because I really want to know what you think about Harrison Ford's character arc by the end of the film and what you thought about Ryan Gosling's fate. But at least with Blade Runner 2049, the heavy themes and the fascinating cerebralness that they were reaching for, at least they were reaching for something. And that something makes a little bit of sense, even if you have to put a little bit more thought into it and create alternate avenues to get to where they're wanting to go. It's It makes more sense than what Arrival was doing. I mean, I, Arrival still boggles the old mind. And that's why Blade Runner 2049 makes for a good movie to go back and visit because I very well could enjoy this movie a lot more because now I know what direction they are actually going towards. And it was multiple directions. Maybe I was looking for too much. I, I I don't know. But again, you know, the film focused on aspects and things that I didn't really care about and just really brushed over the themes that I, I did care about. For example, there is a character named Joy. And Joy is this... What What is she, Matt? Like an, like an app, a program, a so, like a companion software? What, what, was the, what was the movie with... Oh, her. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, her. Uh, yeah, think of the movie Her, but instead of Scarlett Johansson's voice, you actually have a fully holographic girlfriend to deal with. Right, and this holographic girl, the character is Joy, but it's played by Anna de Armas. I thought she was a great actress. I think she looked fantastic. And I think that worked wonderfully because Ryan Gosling's character falls in love with her. And... That made it for a very interesting discussion topic. Like, w will it be more acceptable for a physical being to fall in love with technology like an app? It's it's cool. I mean, they, they set this up in that movie. And this is one of the big things I got out of this movie because I thought this in particular, this relationship was set up wonderfully until... A spoiler happens, which I don't want to get into right now. Something happens, and it just kind of just erases it completely. And it doesn't really have too many effects on Ryan Gosling. They just all kind of move to the next thing. It's difficult. Okay, let's get to spoilers, because that was pretty much it for me. It's a good movie. Keep an open mind. Expect amazing visuals. Watch it with great sound, a great TV if you watch it at home. But do try to go see it in a cool theater. So that's the end of my non-spoiler review. Cool beans. All right. So what do we want to talk about spoiler-wise? Okay. So Joy, the girl, he falls in love with her. And the whole deal is that he is now able to transfer the program, the software, because normally she's a hologram, into right. an actual physical like robot or something like that. 
I, I well, it's, I wouldn't say it's a robot as much as it is just a portable holographic projector. Right, exactly. So they can go on dates and they can actually have a relationship. So it's kind of like Lars and the Real Girl, but this Real Girl is actually more like a real girl and not a pleasure doll. And, and later on in the movie, this girl dies, you know, the villain. I think she steps on the little holographic projector and it kills the memory. So basically it kills his hologra- his his love, Ryan Gosling's love. And that's it. It just kind of, it just happens and the movie goes into the next thing. And that was so disappointing to me, especially from then on out. I mean, we, we don't get to meet Harrison Ford until an hour and a half into the movie, pretty much. At that moment, the movie switches gears to accommodate not only Ryan Gosling's story, but now Harrison Ford's story. By the end of the movie, you're supposed to care about him finding his daughter and then the return of... Shit, what's her name from the first movie? What? Oh, um, Sean Young's character, Rachel? Yeah, and the return of Sean Young's character, the clone Rachel. version of her or yeah. whatever. I mean, did any of that bother you? Because that, that well, was okay, a Okay, it just seemed like, first of all, <laughs> what a wonderfully creative way to keep Sean Young from being in this movie. <laughs> Poor woman. Cannot catch a break to save her life. Yeah, aside from the slap in the face that was, hey, look, we found a really nice way to not keep you in the movie, uh, or not put you in this movie. I did like how they made Rachel uh, able to to... to uh, procreate it also lends credence to the continued idea that whether or not deckard is or isn't a replicant because and rachel is his daughter no rachel is uh was sean young's character that was that was her name was rachel dr anna staline was the daughter all right so you're talking about rachel who is sean young who appears at the end the younger sean young sean well, they use they use body doubles and do. images, you know, static images. But and, in the story, you know, she is a clone, or she is a, a robot. Correct. Yes, whatever. she's supposed to be a clone. A yes, she's supposed to be a, a replicant clone. Yeah. Yes, that lasts all of you know twenty seconds or whatever. But then there's that character who turns out to be Deckard's daughter, Deckard and Sean Young's daughter, Deckard and Rachel's Rachel's daughter. Yes, that's right. Dr. Anna Staline. That was the girl who, that was the woman who, who puts the memories into Kay's head. Right. So she's the one that creates memories. Right. And that is Deckard's daughter. Yeah. And she puts That's them into. That's who he into, goes to see at the end of the movie. Right. And she puts those memories into, or implants those memories into the replicants. So I had no problem with that because again, it, it allows for the continued like oh is he or isn't he kind of a thing uh which is part of the fun of the first one um but and and it also leads to the necessity of having deckard in the movie because we need to because k literally has to establish what happened to deckard and why deckard is where he's at to to ascertain what's going on with this with this child replicant right mm-hmm. so i didn't mind any of that what i did mind was 
his extended cameo, as it were. There was really no reason for him to be there beyond establishing that he left, Rachel was gone and clearly died, and he didn't know where his daughter was. So there was no point for him to be alive beyond that. Um, and there was no point in him going in after Stalin even at the end, because what the fuck is he going to do? The, it, 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 if anything, the movie should have ended, even if, even if you want K to die for whatever reason, which I thought was like, okay, cause K proved his humanity by dying for what he wanted to die for. So, okay. If, if you want to go with that, then I think it would have been important for K to go and find Celine and tell her, you know, you're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you. You, you're free to go and do whatever you want because this is who you are. And then leave it to, and then, and then let K die and then let Celine go because it again these are the things that go into making the movie too long is having Harrison Ford be in there for longer for the the whole scene where he goes back to talk to Wallace the whole scene where he ends up with love in the freaking transport and love oh my god what the fuck is up with that whole character that whole character bothers me love as a character bothers me in the movie oh the evil woman the or not the evil yeah woman. The, the yeah love the uh, the assistant yeah. right wallace's assistant i couldn't really figure out her either and that's the thing is that uh, these are things that the that's why i still give the movie a 4 is because the themes of the film a lot of the really cool stuff that builds on the film like there's a really cool shot um when when kay is going to the wallace corporation for the very first time he literally flies over the remnants of the Terrell Corporation building. And I can appreciate them taking the time to show, oh, hey, you know, because, you know, as a sequel, you're like, oh, wow, that's a, what a great nod to the first movie. But we don't need 45 seconds of that, right? You could, you could achieve that in literally half the time. And, then we go and we see Wallace go and literally just take a replicant as she drops down and stands up. And then he just cuts her open to disembowel her. Okay, whatever, I guess, you know. And then there's love crying as she walks. Because it's like, I don't I don't know. At this point, we're starting to find more. I'm starting to find more faults with the movie. Well, first off, they shouldn't have promoted Harrison Ford so heavily in the marketing material and in the trailers because at least, I mean, I was fine with, with having Harrison Ford come in later, but I was just waiting for him to pop up. And I, man, I think that was a huge mistake. I, I agree. But there, and again, he ends up playing such a huge part in the last third of the movie that, uh, because of the way they wrote the story, he's not just a cameo. I mean, he's an actual integral part of the finale of the film. So you got to have him. Yeah. So but at I least in the marketing material, though, they should have just kept Ryan Gosling. And, you know, if people found out that Harrison Ford was on set, that's great. Let's just not 
show the main clips. Yeah, but I mean, with everything that Harrison Ford's been pushing for the last, you know, 10 years at this point, um, there was no way you could do a Blade Runner movie and not have him in it in some form or fashion. Sure, yeah. But there and again, Edward James almost was in what was in it, and I thought that was a fantastic cameo. You know, that was a perfect cameo for for this film. I don't know. In terms of in terms of him being in there for as long as he was, I didn't think it was necessary. I think they could have had a better ending uh and still let Kay die. Um I'm not really quite sure how I feel about Kay dying because it doesn't really make sense that he lasted as long as he did based on the events of the fight and everything that he has with love. So it sounds like you agree is that it felt like it was drawn out for the sake of being drawn out. Not just with editing, but with the story, with the like this raw emotion that they were trying to create or trying to set up with the characters or whatever, because right. they want to make sure everybody is on board. Like, we, we need to make sure you care about Kay. Well, then we really need to make sure that you care about Deckard and his, and his daughter. We need you to make, you, you know... They really were trying to make those like uh, the, you know gasp moments for people in the audience to go, oh, duh, is that oh, right? And it ends like up that. being more, and it ends up coming across as more contrived. Right. Quite frankly, I think the one of the best gasp-worthy moments, um, even though I didn't gasp, I just thought, I mean, going along that line um, is Bautista. When, when he, you know, when he dies, I, I thought that was, I, I really thought that was fantastic. Uh, I thought his whole scene was great. Oh, yeah. No, I, and, I agree. Yeah, for sure. And I thought that that is how a replicant should go out. And, you know, because you've never seen a miracle. And then he, and then he pulls the weapon. I mean, it was just great. It was fantastic. I mean, quite frankly, it was up there with tears and rain for me. So, uh, yeah. It's it's a good movie. It's definitely worth watching, but clearly there are issues with it. Um, and, and again, I think that these are issues that stem from everything that people really laud about the first movie. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then I guess we're left now with Stronger, right? That's what's left? That is indeed what is left. All right. Well, then here we go, folks. Stronger. Listen up. This young lady here is running the marathon for bringing a women's hospital. So skip around to Stella and donate to a good cause. I'm going to be there at the finish line for you. I'm going to make a big sign for you. It doesn't show up for anything. <laughs> and then he shows up. There was an explosion, and your legs, they're gone, bro. Welcome home. Is it good to be back? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, talking to you. What are you doing? Dancing. You're trying to make a hero out of me. You need to tell your family what's going on with you. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. This is the first time you're in this week and you had three appointments. You just have to show up for Show up! I showed up for you! You remind me of my son. He died. Helping you made me feel like I helped my son. And for that, I am grateful. 
So yes, you heard it there. 2017 American biographical drama film directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, and it's actually based on um, the memoir also called Stronger, um, about a guy named Jeff Bauman, who is played by Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie. We also have Tatiana Maslany, Miranda Richardson, and Clancy Brown, who star in the film. Um, and, and basically, it is the story of Jeff Bauman, who lost both of his legs in the um, Boston Marathon bombings. And kind of... Uh, a little bit before the bombings, just to kind of give you an idea of what kind of guy this is. You know, uh, really and truly kind of the lovable loser type. Uh, doesn't really have any ambitions in life. Um, you know, doesn't seem to really be going anywhere. But at the same time, it's not, he's not a bad guy. As a matter of fact, he's got a heart of gold. It's just, you know, he chooses to let life kind of keep him in the rut that he's in. Um, and of course, he ends up being um, a hero of the Boston Marathon bombings. And it is his subsequent journey post bombings and his recovery and how he goes about his life. Um, I think this is a movie that is, I don't really have a lot to say about the movie. It, it, it's well acted. It's not, it's not really too hammy. It's not too sappy, uh, mainly on the strength of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tatiana Mas Maslany. Uh, because they have the proper aplomb and they have the the proper gravitas that they bring to the roles that they play. Uh, Tatiana is actually playing Aaron Her Hurley, who is Jeff's girlfriend. Um, you know, hits all the right notes, but at the same time, nothing uh, nothing too spectacular either. And so, if you want something, you know, if you want one of those kind of life reaffirming stories and overcoming adversity things that's well acted and decently written stronger is for you um if you don't get around to seeing it there are tons of other movies in life that you've probably already seen that will fit this bill 3.75 out of 5 should have seen the sign i made for you when it's a like 3d letters and everything I'm sorry. Don't say that. I'm so sorry. Hey. Don't say that. What do you got there, Tim? I don't have much to say about this movie, except you have to see it. I fucking... I, I loved it. It's one of the best movies I've seen this year. 
top three easily along with The Big Sick. It's a great movie. I think uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be nominated. I think possibly David Gordon Green is going to be nominated as well as uh, not not just for maybe best direction, but possibly best writing. So I think he uh, I think he wrote the movie as, as well. But it's great to see somebody who made Your Highness and Pineapple Express do something as moving as this film. It's dramatic. It's powerful without being sappy. And it's an awards movie. It's an Oscar caliber movie without being like an obvious Oscar choice outside of, damn, that was a great movie. That I mean, that has Oscar you know awards written all over it. It just doesn't feel like that they're trying to reach for it. It feels like they were trying to make a powerful movie to tell a powerful story. And they accomplished that. I want to give it a five, but there are some issues with it. Not really worth really going to too much detail, but I think I'm going to stick with uh, 4.75 out of 5. I loved it. I thought it was a great film, so please see it if you can. Well, there you go, Tim. Significantly more so than I enjoyed this film. Um, and let's see. So next week's movie, we're going to do Murder on the Orient Express will be next week's movie. And we'll definitely have some news coming at you next week since we didn't have any this week. But I believe it is now time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on. Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent. Perhaps you're not happy with the service? No, no, no complaints. It's just that we have to go. I'm having rather a heavy period. And we have a train to catch. Oh, oh yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch. And I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher radio so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to Clay, to kate blanchett uh, i get to say this i believe that a creative career is only as good as the risks that you take take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week Madam, perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Take it.
lost Chinatown. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.